how Reverend Craig Duke departed from his church after appearing on the HBO television show, We're Here, a drag show, and found his mission on episode 59 of the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Jesus made it very clear that love was an experience for all people, uh, no strings attached, uh, no questions. By his example, uh, Jesus led by spending time with all walks of people, but certainly uh, the stories in the gospel that are lifted up the most are the ones where Jesus spent time with people that were not accepted. Hello, good people, and welcome to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. This is the podcast which is all about helping the people of the United Methodist Church to navigate the next steps in our beloved church through conversation and commentary, particularly through the challenges we are facing in the year 2022 and beyond. You can always head over to unitedmethodistpodcast.com for all the back episodes of our podcast, a free gift, and for complete show notes and links related to our guest today on episode number 59, Reverend Craig Duke. We all know that our church is facing a schism or a separation of some sort, more than likely in the fall of 2022. And many churches and many clergy and many people are making decisions regarding that and how they're going to navigate and get through this time. There's the issues of the discipline, of course, about human sexuality, the the particular matters regarding the ordination of LGBTQ people as clergy and the rights then of clergy to perform marriages of same-sex people. Those are the particular issues. Those are the disciplinary matters. But, of course, around this, there is real-life drama going on. Every church has to deal with people in their church, either directly or indirectly, who are LGBTQ persons and how the church relates or doesn't relate to those folks. In our episode today, we're going to be talking to a pastor who had real-life drama in his life, which has led to some significant consequences and some wonderful new opportunities for him moving forward. His name is Reverend Craig Duke, a longtime pastor, and he had the real-life drama that we're going to unpack in some detail about having the opportunity to appear on the HBO television show called We're Here, which is a drag show. And Craig chose to dress in drag as a part of his own personal mission to bridge the chasm between the community of faith, the church, and the LGBTQ community. And he has his reasons for doing so, and we're going to get into that in detail in our conversation today. But the result were that Craig ended up having to leave the leadership of his local church. We're going to tell his story here today. We're going to get into it in some detail. You're going to want to listen to this and be a part of this story. And when we come back from the other side of the interview, we'll tell you about some of the next steps that Craig is taking and how you can learn more about his new mission. His name is Reverend Craig Duke. Let's get into our conversation about his story right now. 
and it's indeed a pleasure today to uh, bring into our conversation Reverend Craig Duke. Uh, Craig lives in the Evansville, Indiana area and has a background, a long and, uh, and very positive background as a United Methodist pastor. In the last uh, few months, though, he's been embroiled in some uh, conversation and some uh, some difficulties and some challenges and some great blessings as he appeared on the uh, on an HBO program show called We're Here, which is involves the story of three uh, drag queens who go to various small towns and to uh, have local folks who they have performed in a drag show. And Craig participated in such an event in Evansville uh, last summer, in the summer of 2021, and the program aired in November of 2021. And it's led to various uh, challenges that Craig has had, but opportunities and blessings. And we're going to talk about that a, a little bit here uh, today, I and mean, all kinds of things about mission and ministry and the challenges of life in, uh, in our world right now. But Craig, welcome to... Uh, to the United Methodist People podcast. Uh, thanks, Brad. It's good to be with you today, and I look forward to our, our conversation. Always lots to talk about. Well, Craig and I are uh, uh, colleagues in ministry in the state of Indiana and, and personal friends, and and uh, I'm familiar with his background in ministry. But, Craig, just to give, give a little context to uh, folks who are listening to us, tell us a little bit about your history in ministry. You've been been around in ministry for, for some time. And just to give a little background that kind of leads us up to the point we're going to talk about here today. Sure. Uh, I've been an ordained pastor for now going into my 34th year and uh, always served in the United Methodist Church in the state of Indiana and uh, started out back in 1988 and have uh, served uh, five churches up to that time. I'm in my sixth church now. And uh, during that time, it has been a, a wonderful journey. I'm, I'm married. Uh, my wife, Linda, and I served together. She's not ordained, but we met in seminary. And I went to Garrett Evangelical uh, Theological Seminary up in Evanston, Illinois, where we met, fell in love and got married. And uh, we have one daughter, Tiffany, uh, and she's engaged to Ben. And so we've got lots of exciting things uh, moving forward in our life. Well, and then, uh, and I just want to say this about the, the churches that you've served, and I'm familiar with this. In almost every case, you've had a very positive ministry. Is, is, that, is that right? And some, you know, more people coming to Christ and baptisms and affirmations, and you've had some success at church camp. But I just want to kind of affirm that, confirm that with you. Is that the case? Yeah, I, I believe so. Uh, we've been very fortunate and blessed in the church that we've served. And, uh, you know, you, you know as well as I do, we answer a call to go or sent, and uh, we have as well. And we have had a, a wonderful experience in church camping ministry. That has certainly been something that's at the heart for Linda and I. And regardless of where we have served in a local church, we have always been in camping ministry. And uh, the most often at a, a campground called the Historic Santa Claus Campground in Santa Claus, Indiana. There really is such a place for those of you that may not be familiar <laughs> with it. And uh, we've enjoyed a, a wonderful ministry there with from elementary all the way up to high school and college age students and having the opportunity to talk about life, to talk about Christ, and to have the opportunity for the two to engage together. Uh, and then in our churches, we've had the uh, a fortune of serving in some situations where the growth was uh, uh, really tangible to see. Um, one of I lift up is the church I served in Princeton, Indiana, which was a merger of three churches. And uh, that was an exciting and challenging time as we watched those three churches work through uh, 
leaving their respective buildings, building something new, and then watch it uh, blossom in the community. So I would say, yes, we've had a very positive experience in our ministry. Wherever yeah, we- and that's what kind of went up for the framework. He's had good success in ministry for well, well over 34 years. And so what, the reason why I share that a little bit is because you found yourself out of ministry at the present moment. And it's based in large part uh, due to some controversy stirred up when you made some decisions in order to participate in a television program that is, which involved uh, dressing in drag and performing in drag. And it has then mm-hmm. been, uh, been uh, 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 stirred up controversy in your local church setting where you're at and some other places as well. But it's been an interesting experience. And here's a question for you, Craig. Is this a... Uh, how in the world did this come about? Really, how did this emerge in your life uh, out of, uh, you know, just kind of cruising along in mission and ministry? And then this opportunity came. And so tell us the story about how this came about for you to be on the, the television program. We're here. Well, it, it's turned out to be a remarkable uh, moment and phase of our lives. Um, I received a phone call is where it started. And it was a phone call from a person uh, who is on the Pride Board in Evansville. The Pride Board is an organization that works to provide positive support, input, and awareness for the LGBTQIA plus community in the Evansville and Evansville greater area. I was simply asked one question, and that question was, since I am an affirming pastor, and so that's part of my journey, I am a person that believes love is love and love is for all, and all should be accepted, and that goes for LGBTQ brothers and sisters. I was asked as an affirming pastor, would I be interested and willing to participate in a a reality show on HBO Max uh, that dealt with uh, drag and uh, performing in drag? And I kind of chuckled and I simply said, well, sure, Um, because I was convinced they would never call me back. And so they did. What uh, ended up being a a several week interviewing experience on both phone with COVID and actually some in-person interviews, I realized they were interested in me for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I am the proud father of Tiffany, as I mentioned, and Tiffany identifies as pansexual, and that puts her on the spectrum in the LGBTQ uh, community. And so as the father of a gay child and an affirming uh, parent of a gay child, uh, they were intrigued to have a pastor, a person of quote-unquote religious authority, Uh, to participate uh, in this very non-conventional experience. Uh, After a series of interviews, I would receive the phone call that said, we are choosing you. And that set into motion the reality of a week-long experience where I was uh, followed with cameras and series of interviews on camera uh, that engaged me in dialogue uh, with members of the gay community, with drag queens, as well as answering my own questions in regards to where I am theologically, spiritually, and why I would participate in such an experience. Uh, I would say that it, it turned out to be a very transforming, although challenging, result. <laughs> and so it evolved that you actually did the performance and you made some connections with some uh, uh, interesting and fascinating uh, characters who you worked with and uh, and. Just tell us about how that experience actually went. Tell us about some of the folks that you worked with on this television program and and how yeah. they worked together. We'll get to some of the church stuff in a minute, but I'm really interested in, in the, the folks you worked with. Yeah, I think it's, it's great uh, to give me an opportunity to talk about that because it is uh, an amazing world culture experience. 
And so I was, I was immersed with a, a, a crew, a professional uh, camera crew, professional everyone crew, and the featured uh, uh, celebrities, if you will, on the show are three drag queens. So I had the opportunity to work with Eureka, uh, who is considered to be my drag mother, work with Shandala and also Bob the Drag Queen, and that's the name that he goes by. As I encountered and met with them, I, I was made aware of, of some of the vernacular that was to be important. Um, although my drag mother is biologically a man, and as a man goes by David, uh, when in drag, and during our time together the whole time, I referred to her as Eureka. And I was referred to as a her. My pronouns are he, his, and him, which are very important. Uh, however, they referred to me as uh, a girl and daughter uh, during this journey uh, with my drag mother. As we would get together, whether it be the makeup artist uh, or the other folks, it was clear that the majority were most comfortable referring to each other's in the feminine. And it became very natural. Uh, how are you doing, girl? Uh, what's taking place at my drag daughter? And so what I did discover, however, was working with all of these folks, that drag was so much more than just a performance that some would say over the top personality wise. Uh, I discovered that drag was a calling uh, for these folks and they were, uh, they were sharing and living out what they would call their, their fierce reality of exposing the world, not just to drag, but uh, creating an awareness for the LGBTQ community, wherever that may be. And so the name of the show, We're Here, comes from the fact that everywhere there are gay individuals. And so when they arrive on scene, what they're simply exposing, if you will, are, are those gay members of that community that are willing to either participate in the show and the experience, or for all of the uh, allies and other straight folks in the community to be educated, made aware, and given the opportunity to experience a drag show. And in so doing, it created a bridge in most circumstances between the community and the LGBTQ community and created an awareness. There were certainly those moments in not just my episode, but other episodes where it was not as positive from some of the town folk. Uh, but I was fortunate in Evansville uh, that we did not receive any protest or anything of that nature. But the basic premise of the show, this is an, on HBO, is that uh, the crew, the drag show comes to town, small town America, wherever, or places that would not, uh, in many contexts, would be known for having uh, diversity and opinions in terms of having drag shows. And they recruit for local folks and they make it known that they're here. And it's, and it's meant to, uh, to generate attention. That's for sure on this and to uh, raise awareness here about this issue. And, and I just have to, you know, I watched the the program that you were on and some of the other ones as well. And, and saw that there is, you know, genuine um, uh, affirmation and affection between the folks Mm -hmm. and encouragement and all kinds of other things that, that happened. And, uh, I thought that was, you know, pretty cool and yet also challenging. And the, yeah, you know, you and I are both uh, clergy in the United Methodist Church. And when I first uh, heard about this, I just, uh, I just really thought to myself, oh my, I really wonder how this is going to go down. 
And uh, <laughs> me too. Yeah, yeah, you too, man. And so that's part of the reason we have this conversation here is to unpack this so you can speak for yourself because you know a lot of rumors, a yeah. lot of stories get to happen, and you know this has been uh, publicized not only through church channels but through uh, you know national news and so on, New York Times and things like that. But this is your opportunity to speak for yourself. But I'm interested in breaking down a little context of how this worked in the church. You got, as far as I could, can see here, basically, uh, Craig, you've got kind of three different dynamics at least going on. You've got the dynamic yeah. with your daughter, which is a part, and your family, which is a part of the whole process here. You've got the dynamic with the folks on the show, the which you're basically being exposed uh, to the best of my knowledge, at least, to the LGBTQ community in depth at this level, uh, which you would never have yes. been before. And then you got the dynamic in the church. So we want to talk about the people of the United Methodist Church in this podcast. And if you're one of the people, your daughter's one of the people, and the people of the church that you are part of are, are part of that as well, as well as the dynamic in our denominational system, conference appointments, and so on. Mm-hmm. How did it go down? How did you kind of frame this going into the church prior to, uh, you know, committing to uh, be a part of the show? Sure. Um, There are a couple of things that I did that were very intentional. The first one was that uh, when I was aware that I was going to be participating for sure, and I, I made that decision, I met with the church staff and all of the church staff were made aware of, um, my um, participating in the show, the episode, what it would entail. And I made sure that they understood why I was doing it. Uh, one, for the relationship with my daughter, but also because of the need, uh, in, in my opinion, for the church to reach out to all people, but especially to the LGBTQ community, which have been, uh, by and large, not only ostracized, but certainly not included. Uh, often uh, churches will use the term, everyone's welcome here. And and welcoming is fine, but welcome is not the same as invitation uh, and and inviting someone to truly be included. Uh, I I use the analogy that it's one thing to unlock the door. It's another thing to hold the door open and guide people through it. Uh, And so with the church, I told the staff, but I made a conscious decision not to make the church aware at that point in time. Now, what has been misconstrued as great secrecy was on my part um, the the ability for the church to continue to be themselves once uh, the camera crew came and filmed me on a Sunday morning. Uh, I, I I was giving the church plausible deniability, and I was giving my my supervisor and others plausible deniability, so that anything that did come down as as a challenge or controversy would not be on those people that I serve or be on those who I work for but would come back towards me. That didn't work quite the way that I anticipated. Um, But I did invite uh, the camera crew to come on a Sunday morning. The reason that it was important to me, because I could have said, I'm aware of this, I could have said, I really don't want you in the church. Um, But of course, that's the reality Mm. right now. Um, What a message message that would send right there, wouldn't it? Yes, absolutely. And so I said, I'd like you to come and film in the church. And, and they did on a Sunday morning. And uh, they filmed at both our services. On the one service that we live stream, they, they were much more conservative with their cameras because they didn't want to be seen in the live stream. Uh, in the next service that was not being live streamed, uh, they were certainly more visible around the sanctuary. They were not interruptive. There was no noise. 
but certainly the congregation was aware that something was taking place. So in between services, when I met with me, uh, people of the congregation at our, our normal coffee and get together time, people would ask, and I shared with them that this is an HBO reality show that I am participating in as an affirming pastor. Uh, and because I'm affirming and serving a church that is not 100% affirming, that's why they've chosen to include me in this episode. Uh, some people heard that well, other people did not. Uh, and so uh, controversy down the road ensued when people looked back to that day and began claiming that they were not informed well, that it was not explained well. And what I found out is that there were those on the crew uh, that had a different answer to people in the church than my answer. It was not meant to disguise. It was meant to truly talk about what the whole role of the show was. And so many people in the church that day heard uh, were filming a reality show about small communities. Although that is true, that was not the full story. Uh, and so after that, there were some challenges. Uh, Let me ask you this: a couple of things here, just about the context here, because this is the crux of the matter, yeah. kind of what, why you're no longer in that church. And this is kind of the, you know, where the rubber hit the road here. And well, we'll get into yeah. some of that uh, here in just, just a minute. Were there folks filming uh, your services who were in drag or somehow, extra, uh, you know, extravagant that way? No, absolutely not. Uh, that, that has been a, a misconception okay. that there were drag queens in the worship service and the misconception that I myself was preaching in drag. Uh, that, was never, uh, that was never anything on the table of a desire, and it certainly never took place. Okay. And just to clarify, just because it's kind of the moment you met with your staff, but you did not meet with church board or staff parish or anybody like that prior Correct. to this happening. I did not. So, yep. And just That's to right. be clear about, you know, how these are some of the areas where you yeah. could be kind of uh, questioned or, you know, your decision making sure. could be questioned at least in this whole, whole uh, process. So there, so when the film crew came, it was a bit of a sur uh, surprise for, for some at least that this would happen. And this kind of led to fun, fun, fun after that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, the boy. Yeah. so, you know, it, it kind of came down in the local church and then I'm sure with your uh, super district superintendent and others that this got the people's attention. And then, um, well, just unpack a little bit, some of, some of the good stuff and some of the rough stuff that happened in the sure. local church setting, because there had to be both. Well, the good stuff and in, in, in the local church with this particular show that happened during the filming uh, was the fact that the camera crew, uh, the majority of which are members of the gay community, um, many had not been in church in a very long time or never been in a church okay. because they didn't feel welcome. And I remember uh, one of the camera crew uh, whose pronouns are her and um, she uh, said, well, at least lightning hasn't struck me down. <laughs> And she was referring to the fact that she had come into the church as a gay individual and uh, she had not been killed <laughs> by the Lord God. Um, and and uh, their, their being in the midst of the church folk uh, was a wonderful thing to see uh, and, and for them to experience that. Another positive thing is that uh, the sermon I preached that day, and I did not change the sermon for the episode. Uh, I planned my messages out three months in advance, and I continued with that. In this message, though, there was talk of unconditional love. Uh, one of the assistant producers uh, talked to me afterwards and simply said, you know, that that 
message you talked about unconditional love. I, I really like that. Right. I really like that. They'd never heard that before and kind of referred to it as if it's something I came up with <laughs> on my own. And I clarified that for them. Uh, so that was a really neat moment. The challenges really are, are, are challenges that came uh, after uh, the episode was aired. So in between the filming and the episode airing, all that took place in between at that time was that I did go uh, to my supervisor, superintendent, and I did go to my personnel leadership and let them know of my participation at that time. It was after the fact. And just to get a little context here, I'm I, sorry, Craig, a little context. It yeah. was filmed in like summertime, July of 21, and aired yes. in like November it 21. Was over the week of the 4th okay. of July. 4th yes. of July weekend of 20, 2021, and they aired in November of 21. So there was some significant right. time frame between, right? Yes, very much. Um, I, I made them aware that I participated. And once I made them aware and, and met uh, with uh, my supervisor and, and the bishop and the executive assistant, um, they, they made it clear that um, I should go ahead as my personnel team, Taft Paris, had asked me to and send a letter to the entire congregation uh, sharing my participation and apologizing for any trust, for trust that was broken. Um, because trust had been broken among some. Uh, I did send out that letter. And once the letter was sent out, there are, of course, a lot more questions. Because truth be told, that July 4th Sunday when they filmed was very low attendance, as it is in most of our churches. And uh, I I knew that. And so people, as they found out, were feeling duped, feeling betrayed, and that's where the, the terms of secrecy came out and uh, so on and so forth. The, the rough time really came not so much in those moments because I was answering their questions. I was meeting with uh, groups in the church to explain and to give them a chance to air their concerns, anger, uh, or what they're feeling. Uh, when the episode finally was aired on November the 8th, that very next week was not a challenge. There was only one article in the local newspaper. Uh, and uh, the church was doing fine. Uh, please know that all during this time, after that 4th of July, when they were in the service, I didn't preach about the show. I didn't talk about the show. I really didn't feel I had permission to. Uh, and so that was never addressed. Uh, once the show aired, um, the second week after the show aired is really when things began to to break apart. Um, unfortunately, it was during that time uh, that uh, a member of the congregation who had previously been so supportive uh, changed and decided not to be supportive when they saw me dressed in drag, even though that was mentioned in the letter, even though I was spoken about the fact that was a part of the experience, uh, that was enough to anger this person. They started sending out uh, emails to many people uh, becoming angry uh, that snowballed into some other folks in the church jumping on that uh, experience. And and between the, the anger, aggravation, um, the nastiness, I would say, uh, and, and the criticism, not just of me, but of the LGBTQ community uh, and, 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 my, and my motivation being taken out of context, it was a very painful, painful time. And it was at that time I went to my supervisor for help to say, I cannot lead this church right now because I've lost that ability. And all this came down in a relatively short order. I think the, if I recall here correctly, Craig, the uh, 
program aired on November the 8th. And by the end of November, this all came down and you were, you were no longer in the pulpit. Is that, is that, that is correct. My last sermon was November the 15th. I didn't know it was going to be my last sermon, but it was after November the 15th that the emails were generated um, uh, and an error of a, a letter going out uh, to our preschool parents making an announcement that had not yet been cleared or even shared went out. And so there was quite an upheaval of, of challenge and confusion during that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I was supported by my DS in that. Um, he agreed I should step away uh, for my own mental health. And I made that clear at that point in yeah. time. It was not until two weeks after the 15th that uh, an official letter came out from my superintendent sharing with the church uh, that I was being relieved of my pastoral duties due to my mental health. It also shared, and I think this is important, Brad, for a lot of people to understand. It also shared that I had done nothing that is a chargeable offense in regards to our denomination. I had done nothing that was morally wrong. Uh, I had simply found myself in the midst of a very large disagreement with people that were very angry and to that end, I needed to, to step back. That, that letter was designed to let the church know um, that I was still in good standing, that I was being removed from that congregation, um, and that um, during that time, I was to you know, not be involved with the church at yes. all. Yes, I think you made some important points there in terms of you know, what we're talking about here, Craig. A bigger, we got what happened to you and kind of the micro, but the macro is what's going on the whole United Methodist Church, how we handle situations such as this. And so let me just, uh, you mentioned you were not brought up on any charges. You were not accused of any, Mm -hmm. you know, moral failing or anything along that line. You did not to go against the the discipline as far as I know and, and anything like that. And yet uh, you found yourself in this circumstance. You mentioned about the superintendent uh, supporting you. How do you think things were, you know, we talked a little bit about how things were handled in the local church setting, which was rough. Yeah. How do you think things were handled uh, from the conference and superintendency and the bishop and cabinet and so on? How do you, just how do you feel about it? Well, I certainly felt supported. And what I mean by that is not supported in what I did and decided to participate mm-hmm. in but I felt supported in my role as pastor and, and I felt supported in that um, they, they believe that what I did, they understood. And in principle, there was some, not all, but there was some agreement with, uh, and they were, they were willing to be there for me. And especially um, before the show aired during those months uh, when, when the cabinet was made aware of this experience, um, there was no admonition, you know, placed upon me, no, no structure, strictures of any kind. I was able to continue in my ministry uh, and everything was moving along in a very normal and good way. So I felt I was never felt isolated. That was the word I would use. Okay. Once the show aired and the, and the problem happened and they started to deal with it, I was certainly sympathetic with the role that uh, my leaders had to play. They received a lot of criticism. Once it made public news that I was uh, relieved from my duties in the church mm-hmm. and I appreciated them willing to take the hit, if you will, uh, and criticism during that time without coming back to me uh, and and uh, adding any more uh, salt to the injury. So just to be clear, then you were not uh, punished as such. You were not, you know, removed against your will 
uh, from the church, anything along this mm-hmm. line. This was a kind of between a rock and a hard place situation, as far as I can tell. Am I yeah. being fair here, Craig? Okay, yeah. I just want to make yeah. sure uh, in that that kind of context here. And yet, you've put in a very um, difficult circumstance. You had to leave the church, and it meant uh, with no appointment, just to use our in our United Methodist vernacular. Yet you were, I'm not even sure how what your official status was, but you were certainly no longer appointed to that local church or whatever the circumstance is, but you had a reduction in salary and you've kind of left yeah. in limbo in a way in terms of our appointment system goes. Yeah. So what, let me just ask you, what is your official status as we speak right now in, uh, in the end of, uh, end of January of 2022? And I have to answer honestly today. I don't know. Okay. So that's part of the issue. Uh, that, that, that's part of the issue that we we yeah, are. It, a lot of our church stuff is in limbo right now as we deal with difficult circumstances. But please say more. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, normally, during a time like this, um, the status would be either still appointed to the church, but not serving. Um, it could be a voluntary leave of absence or an involuntary leave of absence, neither of which are applying in this circumstance. Um, and so that's a question I, I still need to ask. And and uh, it's really ironic that, that I don't know that. I have not asked that lately because in the early weeks, um, please know there was a lot of, of, of stuff within me I had yes. to deal with emotionally, oh socially, only imagine. situationally. And so those were questions that weren't even formulated for me. Now I'm... I'm I'm uh, two months into this and uh, nearing the end of the time when I'm allowed to stay in the parsonage, which is the church home. And I find myself now needing to ask that question. What is my current status? I can say for sure, uh, certain, uh, they have made it clear. I am still a pastor in good standing. All right. uh, I am appointable. And so those things certainly do apply. But I currently, um, I don't have, I shouldn't say that. There is, I'm sure, an official status. I've not been made aware of what that is. Well, <laughs> that's part of the deal. It's got to be, you know, we, I think, yeah. I think the circumstances you're in are, uh, have happened in the past, but not quite as much as I'm aware of, at least. But I think they're going to be happening more and more, you know, and sometimes people have been brought up on yeah. charges. Uh, you know, in our discipline, we had, when it comes to uh, matters of human sexuality, we all are aware in the United Methodist Church about the controversies regarding the discipline. Disciplinary statements regarding the ordination of uh, of same of uh, homosexual people, LGBTQ people, and uh, regarding marriage of same sex people, is our crux of the matter we have here. That's going on in our church, and uh, so in that matter, are did you come into this within the church to kind of be a troublemaker, to kind of instigate stuff, to try to pick at the uh, to pick? I'm just asking you here because I think these are questions that yeah, people sure. are going to are asking here. Are were you trying to instigate a response here among the church or whatever? Or were you motivated? Did somebody come to you and say, "Hey, you be our point guy here"? Anything along that line? Anything politically oriented? Sort of? um, yeah, uh, not intentionally. I, what I would say that, to be truthful about myself is that it's pretty much second nature for me to jump in first. Okay. Uh, that, that's, that's, I'm, I'm a person that uh, jumps in with both feet and then works out some of the pieces after the fact in many situations. Uh, in, in this experience, um, I think the question is also, you know, was I aware it's going to create this much controversy? Uh, no, I, I was aware there'd be some challenges clearly and that not everyone would yeah. be happy with it. 
no. Um, it would be for me in ministry uh, to have intentionally moved in this direction to be a catalyst um, of change at this level. Um, that to me would really be inappropriate. Um, I'm certainly capable of, of, of doing things in churches unconventionally to, to bring about light of an issue. But in this particular case, honestly, this was a, a case where I, 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 I did jump in and became involved in the experience, uh, looking for the positives in this. And the positives, which I discovered, of course, was the information and, and awareness that I, I came into being immersed uh, in the drag culture, the the gay culture, um, and and I found it to be a wonderful and accepting experience and world. Mm. Um, and but I will be honest about when when things do happen to this, I don't I don't back away. Meaning, although I ended up stepping away from the church because things had gotten so emotionally challenging and and difficult, uh, my original words to my personnel team in the church. Um, were simply these. I said, please allow me to stay here and lead this congregation through this challenge. I, I'm aware it's made a hardship. I'm aware that, that there's anger and frustration, but please allow me to lead you through this hardship and for the congregation to get an example of a pastor that leads through conflict. Mm -hmm. They agreed to that until uh, the, the nastiness through the email, the conversations, um, folks that wrote to the pastor parish um, with, with their concerns. Until that, um, they were planning to allow me to stay and do just that, lead them through, but I lost that yeah. opportunity. And the leadership piece, Craig, has to do with how we are spiritual leaders of a congregation, a community of faith, and yeah. then also be, be impactful into the, the, our neighborhood, our neighbors, our community. So it kind of begs the question, and I'm going to go here to you on know, some biblical and theological stuff here here now. And, you know, uh, there are those who say, okay, on what biblical basis are you doing this? You know, what would Jesus do in this situation? How are you going to lead people uh, through this spiritually when some people are, do not buy <laughs> that this is valid theologically or spiritually or biblically? Speak to that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, theologically, I mean, what, what I've come to understand is that Jesus was one of the most radical uh, persons ever <laughs> to exist on the planet. Uh, and Jesus made it very clear that love was an experience for all people, uh, no strings attached, uh, no questions. By his example, uh, Jesus led by spending time with all walks of people, but certainly uh, the stories in the gospel that are lifted up the most are the ones where Jesus spent time with people that were not accepted. And I think that's an important thing to look at from a biblical scholarly point of view, because if if the gospels were written, as some people have, have claimed, that the gospels are fiction, uh, they were just written by people for uh, their own desire. Well, if that were the case, and they were trying to, to lift up a positive experience of themselves, they would not have included any of those <laughs> experiences because that would have put them in harm's way, which it did. Uh, every one of Jesus' followers, save one, were martyred physically, uh, and uh, one was certainly isolated on a, an island by himself. And, and so when they incorporated these stories, it becomes clear uh, that what they wanted us to understand is that Jesus was altogether different and that his intense intent as a rabbi, as a believer, 
as one who knew the scriptures, as one who taught others the scriptures, was saying, it's not working the way that you're doing it. That the God that I am with and the God that I represent, my Abba, my Father, loves all people. This is how you love. You hold the hand of the leper. You forgive the adulterer. You have a meal with the embezzler. You spend time with the unwed mother. And and in so doing, and welcoming children in the midst of an adult confrontation, you are setting an example of of the antithesis of society at that time, which was male-dominated, power-dominated, and rule-dominated. Jesus comes in to say, oh, no, 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 you have that wrong. And and, uh, his, of course, end result, his death upon the cross, although it was was his giving his life. It was also the result of people so angry at what he had done to the status quo that they came after him. Now, what I can identify with is never his crucifixion. I've never been crucified. I don't feel like I've been crucified. But I can identify with the incredible depth of anger that people of faith are able to dish out when they believe that their theology is threatened. And I will certainly say that that in this experience, um, my unabashed sharing uh, that God loves all people, that that, uh, drag uh, is, is, is a reality and that gay persons are welcomed as they are, they do not need to change, that threatened many persons' theologies. Mm-hmm. And, and when that Bible is threatened and they're unwilling to change or even have discussions, it's already too yeah. late. And so I, I find myself succumbing to that reality. So how, how dare you uh, say that Jesus loved all people? My God, man, what yeah. are you all about? Yeah. And I, I dare say it. <laughs> what are you all about? So, you know, that uh, I think that's the reality that, we're dealing with here now is that uh, you've mentioned just in what you shared there, you know, several biblical passages and scenarios that Jesus was involved in. So let's just, let's extrapolate out just a little bit. What do you think Jesus would do if he was dropping into the situation you found yourself in? I think he would handle it even better. I think that Jesus would have been able, which I wasn't able to at that time, Jesus would have been able to, to go to, those who were the most angry, the most hateful, the most critical, Jesus would be able to still go to them and be with them and and not only forgive them, but to invite them to a path of reconciliation and and create a hope uh, for that. Um, That was something I was unable to do. My my own hurt uh, feelings of, of heart and spirit my own human, very, very fleshy anger and aggravation um, prevented me from being able to take that step. I also think Jesus would have been harsher in some areas. I think that when when I first shared with our, our personnel team and staff parish about what I'd been involved in uh, and, and they were upset and wanted a letter sent and, and so on and so forth, I think Jesus would have come back at them and saying, why on earth? Are you going to, to have this person send out a letter and apologize when, when really what this person has done is offer love? Yes. When really what this person has done is, is put themselves in someone else's literal shoes 
and put themselves in someone else's circumstance because Jesus tells us when you're confronted with such things, um, you don't just give what, what you, you don't just give what you're able to give, you give more. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that would have been a, a challenge at that point. And certainly a challenge to the church to say, if you're angry uh, about the inclusion of people different than yourself, then you're not the church. Mm, wow. And um, prophetic. Jesus had a lot to say about the lukewarm yeah, and, and a that prophetic kind of word there. And, um, yeah. and uh, by golly, it just sounds darn accurate to me. <laughs> it sounds biblical to me. <laughs> Uh, but let's, you know, a part of what we're talking about here is not only the dynamic in the church and God loves the people in the church, but God believes, or you believe, and I believe that God also loves, uh, Eureka and the other folks that you worked with in the LGBTQ community and your daughter and others, uh, you know, many people listening to this, uh, clergy families have, uh, you know, have uh, folks LBGTQ and so on. Let's talk a little bit about the opportunity here and about opportunity lost in some cases for the church to connect yeah. with people who are sometimes called the other, you know, just different than what the norm would sure. be expected to be in your particular case here. Tell me what you learned about how many people in the LBGTQ community feel excluded from the church or feel far from God and feel feel uh, ostracized in some ways. And what are some ways we might be able to start to bridge some of this? Okay. Um, I would certainly say what I I learned is that there's incredible consistency in the stories of rejection from the LGBTQ community and primarily rejection from faith and from church. Um, And in the midst of that rejection, they still were welcoming of me, intrigued to talk about faith and uh, consistently shared different voices sharing that they still had a love of God, a love of higher power. They still were spiritual people, but they just realized they could not be included in institutional or organized religion. Um, The stories of hurt, rejection, and pain were were almost unbearable, and and they weren't told to me all at once. These were these were a, a, a camera person that would put their camera down for a moment and say, can I just tell you something? Uh, a makeup artist that in the midst of, of putting makeup on my face would say, well, you know, I, I was I was homeless for a while as a kid in foster homes and on and on and on. The stories just just became a reality that they were bereft of love. I gained street cred is what I call it when I put on a dress. Hmm. I had no idea what street cred. So as much as there's been admonishment from, from some people of faith, there has been incredible blessing uh, upon me from, from others in the LGBTQ community. And it's not just that I have quote unquote taken their side. What they have communicated to me is that I have street cred because they have never encountered uh, a pastor willing to go that distance in order Uh, to understand, communicate, and and to be with them. So the opportunities uh, that that can be lost, I'm hoping to capitalize on. So for example, uh, you had talked early on in the show that there were blessings. Well, yes, there were. Um, An individual um, from the congregation started to go fund me for my family. Now, let's keep in mind um, that that Linda and I have been in ministry 34 years. We've never had anything like this needed or done for us on our behalf. in, in a period of just four days, um, a GoFundMe raised uh, just shy of $60,000. Um, 
It came from 1,400 different people. The majority of those people giving five, 10, and $20, very few large gifts. And out of those 1,400, at least 140 of them left personal messages in the GoFundMe account of encouragement, of, of, uh, of support, and being a part of the team. It was overwhelmingly positive, uh, and it was incredible. So to that end, um, I've started a online faith community, which currently has just shy of 150 participants. Um, I've also started a podcast, uh, not not uh, quite as sophisticated as yours at this point, um, but I have uh, just done three podcasts. It's called Dream Catchers. And from that, um, we've been able to have people that follow up asking about the scriptures I reference, uh, sharing the most powerful things as they, they're so excited to listen to this with their sibling who is gay. They're thankful to be able to sit there with their son or their daughter and listen to that experience. Uh, it's amazing what that medium has, has begun to do. Uh, in other words, what I've discovered is that just like the show's title, We're Here, there are people um, that are, are hurting in the gay community everywhere and in our communities of faith. There are numbers upon numbers of people that may not be gay themselves, him or herself, but certainly have siblings and friends and others. I have 27 pages of affirmations and stories from people um, throughout this experience, as well as I have people continuing to connect with me, some from my former churches, sharing their story. Uh, one, only one that I'll share, and that's from a, a gentleman who contacted me and, and reminded me that I did the wedding for he and his wife uh, nearly 30 years ago. Uh, and he felt that he was able to finally tell me that the marriage lasted 13 years until he came out as a gay man and is now married to his partner, his husband, and is not only happy and content, but still keeps in good relationship with the mother of his children. Yes. These are the kind of stories yeah. that I continue to receive, and they're feeling permission to talk about them in a faith context for some in the very first time in their lives. It's a great opportunity here and opportunity lost as well for, for, the, for the church because these, these yes. are people who matter to God. <laughs> they do. And uh, therefore, they should matter to the church if the church is an embodiment of loving uh, of all people. So I just want to ask you one or two more things and I'll let you go. What's next for you? You've mentioned a couple of things here. I know God has to be laying some things in your heart. And it's also, let's talk about the opportunity that may be before you here. You've got a new platform. You've got a new audience that is out yes. there. As one audience may be diminishing or changing, there may be some new opportunities yeah. here. So tell me a little bit about uh, what's next for you. Uh, locally, what's next is... Uh, an event in March uh, that the uh, the Pride community is holding as a fundraiser for the Pride Board um, to raise funds that will, one, uh, support a new inclusive community of faith, two, provide scholarships and financial aid to people from the LGBTQ community that have no other support or that have been rejected from their families. Uh, very excited about that. Um, the event will also include um, the reigning Miss Gay America, which is a national person who will be coming and performing. And here's a really cool thing for me. Um, as I've been talking as recently as this weekend to a group uh, of both allies and members of the LGBTQ community, 
and, and bridging that gap now spiritually. So as I began to lift up the possibility of an inclusive community of faith, there's been excitement generated. There's been support generated. And, and so to that end, uh, on this after this March 5th experience, we'll be announcing um, the first gathering of our inclusive community of faith, a uh, place yet to be determined. But right now we're, we're looking at it taking place in one of the local breweries and bars where people feel much more comfortable to come and gather together and share their stories of life, of faith, and sacrament. And uh, that's what it's going to become. So I'm really excited about that and, and really pumped mm. up. Um, in addition to that, what's next is that we we are still uncertain of where we're going to be living next. Um, and so we're in the process of doing a couple things, both looking at homes, but also waiting for information in regards to a next appointment uh, as an elder in the United Methodist Church. And, and then thirdly, uh, keeping in contact with uh, the wonderful friends that I met at HBO, Max, um, we're here has been approved for a third season. Um, I've been able to keep in contact with Eureka, my drag mother, and uh, receiving her support through this experience and uh, continuing that conversation as to what may happen next. Uh, I know another piece will be a uh, faith-based camp for middle school and high school kids that is fully inclusive. Um, we're already looking at that in July for Indiana, and we're looking for that. Uh, we're not don't know the date yet, but at a camp in Illinois, um, there is a real need for young people that are dealing with the reality of their sexual identity that is not heterosexual to be able to go to camp and be in a safe faith-based environment where they hear the reality of God's love, but get a chance to ask really hard and tough questions. And, and we look forward to being involved in that experience. So. Um, and so those are the things that keep my brain going, keep me up at night, uh, and also well, uh, uh, get me thinking about what possibilities yeah, So are. it's not like your life ended, did it? You didn't end when all this came down no. and, you know. No, in some ways, it's Yeah, in begun. some ways, you know, opportunities uh, were, some opportunities may have closed or altered for you and new opportunities have come, and that's a good thing. And let's leave, I want to leave with this kind of thought or this one last emphasis, because I really like to try to, you know, we've talked about some really tough stuff here today, but, you yeah. know, I also like to kind of leave on an encouraging note if I can. And that is with, sure. with this. Let's just say that there is that person. Maybe it's a United Methodist clergy person. Maybe it's a United Methodist lay person or a uh, someone related to that. Maybe it's someone who is LBGTQ themselves but is not uh, come out with that. Or maybe they have a son or a daughter or a sister or a mother or a dad or someone in their life or a friend or somebody in the choir or somebody in the youth group mm -hmm. who they, how do I handle this? How do I do this? Uh, how can we be men and women and young people of faith? And given all the pressures in our world right now and this particular, this particular issue, which is so pertinent in our United Methodist Church, because we know something's going to come down this year on this whole matter, uh, really. Yeah. But what encouraging word would you give to that United Methodist person, because this is the United Methodist People podcast, mm -hmm. about how, what is the step forward? What's an encouraging word to that person? The step forward continues to be dialogue and conversation, uh, not debate and controversy. I would say to all of those folks, you're not alone. You're not alone in questioning how is this going to work? And you're not alone in saying, is there a place for me? There are plenty of resources that are, are beginning to be available more and more. You won't find them in Christian curriculum. Um, but uh, I would look for those local 
communities that have a pride board or an LGBTQ uh, place. And if not, as I tell on my broadcast, I always give out my email. Uh, they can contact me at Craig Duke, craig.duke at gmail.com, and I'll get them to the resources that they need. Uh, another good resource is the Reconciliation Ministries. That is a national experience, um, and uh, several churches have become reconciling churches, which means they're not only affirming, but they're hoping to reconcile, bring together those who are trying to understand the gay community, those that may be against it, those that may be uh, in the midst of it, as Brad just said, and, and bring them together for a time of reconciliation and hope. The church continues to be a place of hope. I continue to be a person of hope. I serve the God of hope. And, and I would say, don't lose your hope. Don't despair. Because although it's challenging to talk about those issues that we don't yet feel comfortable, it is only through that conversation and relationship as Jesus taught us, relationship with one another, will we be able to go any further together. So I encourage you to continue to talk and converse and pray and uh, have faith that God will deliver us from whatever our situation is going well, to be. Well said. I thank you for that. And I just want to say to you that uh, from my perspective as your colleague and friend, that I just really commend you for taking a stand for the gospel, even in the midst of some really difficult circumstances and to put yourself right. out there. You know, it sounds a little bit like Jesus and Matthew and some of the tax collectors and so <laughs> on, and maybe a little bit Wesleyan about uh, being in the bars and pubs and things like that. It just sounds like there are some opportunities there. And uh, I know it's kind of personal for me because I know uh, some of the folks you're involved with, the, the church you serve is a church I have a, a very close connection with and uh, and know that uh, there's opportunities here in, uh, for mission and ministry, but we have to choose to work through it. And I love what you said about being in conversation and commentary. That's our purpose here on the United Methodist People podcast, to navigate a way forward with conversation and commentary and to have a positive spin on everything that, that we're doing. So thank you, Craig. Appreciate your uh, being out there, my man, and uh, being out there. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for the opportunity to have conversation today and to be able to share. I appreciate that. Greatly. All right. Well, you've heard uh, Craig uh, Duke and we'll put uh, uh, Reverend Craig Duke. We'll put connections to uh, everything that he's about, his email and uh, the various organizations that he's uh, talked about here on our website, unitedmethodistpodcast.com, our show notes there. And we appreciate you being with us uh, today. Uh, good people on the United Methodist People Podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. I think you will join me in extending just a really gigantic thank you to Reverend Craig Duke for sharing his story here today on the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, episode number 59, story of some pain and some gain, the story of some risk-taking, a story of some of the uh, uh, consequences of that that happened, and a story of opportunity. And we all know there's real pain in this process as our church moves closer and closer to some sort of separation, some sort of schism, there are lots of things that people are going through, and people feel strongly about this matter on both sides of the issue. We know that. That's why uh, separation is most likely to happen. For some of us, we may feel that this is a cautionary tale of the consequences that can happen You know, when you cross the line. 
And others of us see this as a just incredibly bold step of faith. That means you have to go out on the limb because that's where the fruit is at. So Craig and his wife, Linda, have found in this whole process, they're trying to, they're in a season of discernment right now, what God has planned for them next. But I do know that they have found a new mission, a new calling to really focus in on bridging the gap between the LGBTQ community and the established faith community. And in that process, they have created a Facebook group. It's called The Open Door. And a podcast called the Dreamcatcher Podcast. We'll have links to both of those at unitedmethodistpodcast.com. But I want you to appreciate the steps of faith that Craig has taken and lift him up from prayer as he goes through this season of discernment and opportunities that may be there and some new directions in his uh, in his journey. And understand that this is not not the, the first and the last story of this, of this type. Many people, clergy, laity, church leadership, denominational officials, superintendents, bishops, are all are having to struggle with this matter, as we all are. And I'm just hopeful that we can all move forward in faith in this whole process as we are taking next steps. Let the next steps in the process be guided by our faith, and try not to let them be uh, manipulated by any personal agendas or any agendas from something, some outside group. Let's be uh, walk forward in an illuminated path, illuminated by our own personal faith in Jesus Christ and how we see that lived out in our relationship to our church. That's what we're here to do on the United Methodist People podcast, to help people just like you to navigate this kind of sometimes confusing and and sometimes upsetting process we're all going through. And what are the next steps for you personally as, as a clergy or as a layperson or as a denominational official? It's chaotic time. It's a time of some pain. And there are some casualties. There also are some consequences. But out of that, there are some opportunities. I believe that. And I get motivated by stories like uh, Craig taking the bold step of faith and still going, still after it. And it's all about uh, this whole process here. And we believe here in the United Methodist People podcast of doing it through conversation and commentary, which can lead us through this path to build new community. That's what we're all about. We hope that you join us next time on the United Methodist People podcast when we'll continue this journey, taking the next steps to our new way of doing church, and whatever that may be in the United Methodist Church. It's all about following through with what we have stated is our mission statement, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. So until next time, good people, I leave you with the words of John Wesley. I quote, Though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike. May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion. Without all doubt, we may, herein, all the children of God may unite, notwithstanding these smaller differences. The words of John Wesley, close quote. Now, my friends, in your life, continue to do all the good that you can. <laughs>